0: In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. We are now 16 days out from a national election in this country, and it feels, well, almost existential. Regardless of where we stand politically, it feels like everything we care about is on the ballot. As a nation, we are divided, anguished, bruised, and broken. Some of us have lost our ability to extend grace or generosity to people whose views differ from ours. Some of us have become so jaded, hardened, and cynical that we can't afford to feel what churns beneath our numbness. This past week, the Episcopal clergy of this diocese gathered virtually to spend some time with our bishop to have an extended conversation about this very thing. Prior to our gathering, Bishop Mark wrote a letter to all of us, offering some thoughts about how he hoped we would spend our time together. I'd like to share a portion of that letter with you. He wrote, Conversations with many of you and colleagues across the Church in the last two months have affirmed a shared and deepening concern for our congregations, communities, and country as we draw nearer to Election Day. As partisan derision and contempt have amplified, and countless things from mask wearing to means of voting have been increasingly politicized and polarizing, the fear of further division and violence following November 3rd has only heightened. Amidst the relentless challenges of navigating COVID 19, with seeking to address anew the reality of racism and racial injustice in our common and personal life, The trajectory of this election process in terms of social stability and national unity only leads us to greater angst and uncertainty. This is hard work. A number of you have allowed that you have never worked harder. I share that sentiment fully and suspect it speaks for all of us. And I will add that when it comes to our providing leadership by example for reconciliation with those whose political convictions, behavior, and social discourse feels so much the opposite of my own, I do not always have confidence that I am capable of it. I feel increasingly vulnerable to resentment and disdain, prone to turning my back instead of my cheek which is just what the power of evil most desires. That is how it isolates us, which is the only way it wins. And we keep it at bay with companionship, divine and human, creative possibility and hope. It was a good gathering and a reminder that we are not alone, as leaders and as members of a larger communion. The Episcopal Church is a vast network of faithful followers of Jesus, united in our common prayer and love for our neighbors as well as ourselves. We are diverse politically and grounded in the core convictions to always seek the middle way, to find paths leading us back towards each other rather than apart, and to stay true to our baptismal promise to respect the dignity of every human being. During our gathering, we talked about challenges and opportunities to grow and stay connected during these tenuous times. And while it fell short of providing any magical answers to what will happen or what we might need or want to do after Election Day, I was grateful for the companionship, the reminder that communities of faith like ours can be places of hope. Personally, though, I also need to share that I left that gathering with a heavy heart. This has been the hardest political season I have ever experienced. As a woman, I find this administration's misogyny inexcusable. As a parent and someone with family members of color, I am terrified for them. As a Christian and a leader in this community of faith with more and more beautiful children, I cannot stomach the indecency and dishonesty confronting us on the national stage day after day after day. I share all of that to confess some of my struggles as we try to find a way forward together. I am struggling to do what Jesus asks of us this week in the gospel lesson, Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. On its face, this passage from the Gospel of Matthew is about taxation. The Pharisees and the Herodians, eager to entrap Jesus and expedite his arrest, approach him with a question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? We know from history that this is a trick question. The Pharisees of Jesus' day saw the tribute tax as a heretical and anti-nationalist capitulation to a pagan emperor, while the Herodians viewed refusing to pay the tax as treason. Jesus understands that answering either way is a lose-lose proposition. He also knows that the question proceeds not from curiosity, but from pure malice. Though his interrogators approach him with flattery, teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with trust, blah, 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 blah. Jesus knows that their intentions are sinister from the start. So he takes a Roman coin, a coin that honors the Roman emperor as a deity and offers the Pharisees and Herodians an ambiguous both-and answer. Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. It's not an answer that surprises us much, is it? It's classic Jesus, not only to respond to a challenge with an even greater challenge, but to insist that the relationship between faith and politics is too complex to reduce to platitudes or tweets. It's important to stop here just for a minute and also notice what Jesus does not say. He doesn't say that there are two distinct realms, the religious and the secular, and that they require equal fidelity. What he says, in fact, is much more subtle and, I dare say, complicated. The coin is already the emperor's. There's his face stamped right on it, so give it to him. But then consider the much harder question. What belongs to God? What kind of tribute do we owe to the eternal source of love? The Roman coins of Jesus' day bore the image of the emperor. From the opening chapters of our sacred texts in Genesis, we read that as human beings created by the divine, we bear God's image made in the likeness of God. God's likeness is stamped into us and upon us. God's signature, as it were, is written across our very beings through the lives we lead, through the choices that we make, through the stories that we tell ourselves and out in the world, through the failures we acknowledge, and through the forgiveness we receive and offer. Which means, if we keep the analogy going, we owe God, well, everything, our whole and entire selves. In fact, any notion of trying to divide up the sacred and the secular becomes mute. In the end, we cannot separate Caesar's realm from God's realm when everything, everything, is of God. But what does it mean to give God what belongs to God in these hard and divisive days? How do we bear forth God's image while our families and communities splinter and often divide over political and cultural differences that create chasms too unbearable and treacherous to cross? How do we live into the all-encompassing kinship of God while a scorched earth, ideology-driven, the end justifies the means divisiveness reigns within American Christendom at large? Well, here's the deal. When we read the Gospels, we don't see a Jesus who cares more about the ends than the means. If anything, following Jesus shows us the exact opposite. He privileges the means. The one who calls himself the way understands that the way we go about achieving all of our goals, the language we use or abuse, the stories we privilege or silence, the people we protect or oppress, the sins we confess or indulge, the truths we proclaim or deny, these, in fact, do make all the difference in the world. As Christians, we don't have the option of fudging on the love and mercy of God for some greater political end result. We cannot isolate our political choices and actions as if they don't reflect who we are as image bearers of our Creator. If everything belongs to God and is of eternal love, then our spiritual lives and our political lives and choices must align. They must be in perfect harmony. They must not contradict each other, which is to say what is technically legal isn't always compassionate. What is politically expedient isn't always just, merciful, righteous, or life-giving. Our political leaders Are not our God's. Our rendering unto Caesar must always take second place to what we render unto love, unto God, unto our deepest source of goodness and mercy. So when I look to Jesus to think about how to practice my faith in the political realm, I see no path to glory that sidesteps humility, surrender, and sacrificial love. I see no permission to secure my prosperity at the expense of another person's suffering. No evidence that truth-telling is optional. I see no kinship that favors the contemptuous over the brokenhearted. So where does this leave us today, right now, 16 days out? I do mourn the landscape we are traveling with seemingly no room in any of us to listen to our opponents with genuine curiosity curiosity or compassion anymore. But maybe this is exactly the place where Jesus' teaching today becomes the sharpest and most relevant. As an image-bearer of a loving, forgiving, and gracious God, Maybe that is our most fundamental call in our vocation as disciples. Let's be clear. Figuring out our taxes is the easy part. What is infinitely harder right now is living out our political convictions with a Christ-like humility and with a compassion that embraces our political other as a brother or a sister. But if we really belong to God, If we really are fashioned in the divine's image, then we must practice our faith and our politics in a way that reflect that love. It's not a question of backing down or of being dishonest or watering down our beliefs. It's a question of remembering the God whose image we bear in our lives is a God of endless and sacrificial love. So yes, By all means, give the emperor what belongs to the emperor. But may we remember our first loyalty is to the kinship that will remain long after all earthly empires rise and fall. Caesar's realm is limited and temporal. God's reign is eternal and expansive beyond our wildest imaginations. Give to God what is God's. In short, Give it all to God. And as we do, may we leave this world better than we found it.
1: If you don't like it, then get the hell out. That's what they say when I open my mouth. A stick is a stick, a stone is a stone. Who's gonna care if I don't? And who's gonna change if I won't? When time turns this moment to dust, I just hope. law. My neighbor's in danger, but who does he call? When the wolf at the door is all covered in blue, shouldn't we try something new? We're over a barrel and at the end of one, two When time turns this moment to dust, I just hope From ourselves and the hell that we've built for our kids America, America, we're better than this When time turns this moment to dust I just hope than we found in America, America.
0: America, may it be so.